0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com.
1: So I was going to save
0: this, but nah. So... I kind of have to have them stand up. There's three people that are in my mind right now, um, and I want them to stand up just so you can see their faces, and you can see the pain and the exhaustion in their faces. Uh, Dennis Fort, Tim Taylor, Bud. Bud doesn't need a last name. It's Bud. Okay, so where's Dennis? Yes, he wouldn't stand up. So Dennis is right there. And he's really putting his head down. And then where is uh, Bud? Bud. And then Bud. I'm noticing they're all tall people. So there's Bud, and then there's Dennis, and then Tim Taylor Sr. Yeah, here he's also shy. So when I show up, those three guys are setting up. I'm seeing them carrying the flags. And then the next week comes, and they're still doing the flags. And then the next week comes, and they're still doing the flags. And then Bud's setting up. I mean, they're always here setting up. And so the reason I bring that up is we need some people to give him a break. Okay? I mean, I know Dennis looks like an ox, but he's not. He will eventually wear down. And if he was wearing down, he wouldn't give up anyways. For those that have been with branches long enough, the dude had hip surgery, double hip surgery, when we were at the harbor. And my buddy sent me a picture. After his surgery, he's sitting there, hobbling around with his things, setting up the chairs. Okay? Okay? So all that to say that we all do this together, but we don't want them to be the only ones doing it. There's a few guys I left out, um, a few ladies that just always make it happen, but we always need some people to say, hey, I'll take one time a month, or I'll take two times a month, or even once every two months. Anything helps so that we're all carrying the burden together. All right, thanks. Um, Okay, so when you think of the nativity scene, this is one of the many scenes Man, that makes it look really pretty, doesn't it? Um, but when we think about the nativity scene, there's that innkeeper, right? How lame is that guy, right? So, in your mind, when you think of the innkeeper, is it a male or is it a female? And if whichever one is, who is it? Like, if you could picture someone in that place, who would it be? I don't know. I was. It, this is a unique experience for me because I wrestled with it and thought about it. The guy that keeps coming to my mind is Danny DeVito. <laughs> like, I can see Danny DeVito being the one going, "Huh, well, I ain't got room. Get out of here. Like, we're full. Like, and you just feel, like, why do I, why do I put that on? Because Danny DeVito's done all these other characters. There's one other guy that could probably step in, and that's Joe Pesci. I don't know why I chose short Italian dudes. I really don't. But for some reason, I could in the scenes they've done, the movies they've done, I could see them being a jerk. And when I think of the innkeeper, we all heard the story, that guy or that girl was a jerk because they wouldn't give a room away. And then we always think, no, I know there was a room. There had to be a room. They just didn't want to give it up. We think that, don't we? We're so quick to place blame. We just want someone to be at fault. It's just so natural to us. We are so good at being judgmental. And then I think of uh, Joseph, and there's this picture right here, right? It's just so beautiful. I mean, you've got, you know, she's sitting there. There's the baby, and you've got these animals. I got a daughter. I have two sons. I've seen them all being born. That is not where you want your child born. I waited. I never saw birth on video, you know, in school. They're like, oh, you should see this video. I was like, no, because I'm going to wait till my first child is born for a few reasons. One, because I wanted that to be the moment because I heard all these stories. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. You're going to want, oh, it's- I can't wait for you. It's really not that beautiful, <laughs> just so you know. But going through that experience... I don't want any camels there. I don't want any cows. I don't want any goats. I want it washed with bleach. I want it clean. I want it ready to go. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? How many of you would go, sounds great. You got a barn? And so I think of Danny DeVito, and then I think of Joseph. Because what about Mary's death? You took my daughter where? My grandchild was born what? And so I never thought about it till this week. But what did Joseph, what kind of failure, failure did Joseph feel like? And the reason I say that is because as I step back and think of my life, there's plenty of moments, plenty of experiences I have where I feel like I'm not enough. My friend was explaining to me uh, not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before, he, he called me and he's a leader in our community and he said, I just feel like a failure. Like, we don't have money to give my kids Christmas presents. I mean, I could put it on a card, run it, we could be in debt, but I feel like I let my family down. Like, I wasn't enough. I should be able to provide for them and I couldn't do it. And I could relate because those moments hit me at all areas of my life. I mean, I think about, am I a good enough husband? Am I enough of a husband? And when I say am I, most of the time I'm thinking I should be doing more. I'm not doing enough. I'm I'm like falling short like Joseph. Or I think of uh, as a dad. I should be a more patient dad, a more fun dad, a more adventurous dad, a more this dad. There's all these ways I think of falling short there. Um, Even as a pastor oh, if I could do this better, if I wasn't so bad at that, or if I didn't get caught up in this, and maybe our community of faith would be, it's my fault, we could be. And I know I can bring this up to you guys because I know you struggle with the same stuff. Am I enough? I'm not doing enough. And you don't even ask, am I enough? You just say, I'm not. I'm a failure. And during this time of year, everything seems to be heightened in every area. And so this is gonna be highlighted. I think about my neighbors. I'm not a good enough neighbor to them. I'm not friendly enough. I'll see them out talking and I'm coming in exhausted. I'm like, I don't wanna go do that. I don't know, they, how How are they out there so long? How are they doing this? And then I think about my relatives. I'm like, oh, I should spend more time with them. And I should spend more, I should be doing more. I'm not a good enough son or brother or this or that. I'm not enough. And I remember when it was so clear to me what I wanted to hear. When we we had uh, our first child, and we had to watch movies for our kids, and a ton of them are horrible, but there's some that are good for adults and for kids. And so Finding Nemo came out, and so you know you got uh, Marlin the fish, and and he's found this great place, and he says to his wife Coral, he's like, Hey. You said you want an ocean view? Hey, here's the whole ocean, look. And he's talking about everybody wanted this little piece, but I got it. And he's so proud of himself because he feels like he's provided. He feels like he's done something well. And so he's in that moment, and it was her response. I remember hitting pause um, and and saying, Steph, I want you to hear this because that's what I want to hear. That's what I struggle. I want you to feel like that fish coral does. And so um, he goes, ah, look at this, look at that, look at that. And she goes, my man delivered. I was like, "Whoa!" I still get the chills when I hear that. (laughs) Like, that's what every man wants to hear. That's why when you're reading scripture, well done, my good and faithful servant, I could just, I could tell you that that's not going to be the words I'm going to hear. I want to hear the Lord say, whew, my boy delivered. Like, there's something about that. It's not just men, it's women as well. We want to hear that. And there was this other thing that she said that was just so simple. You've done good. You've done good. And when we see this nativity story, it just seems to be filled with all these examples of failure. And I think the reason that is is because we love to do that. We not only want to tell others they've fallen short, But the reason we want to do that is because we feel we've fallen short. We feel we're not enough. And I don't know why it isn't so hard. Why is it not a pattern that we're always talking to each other and building each other up? Because it's not what we do. In fact, when someone does it, we're like, whoa, that was weird. Guess what they said to me? That should be the norm. And so when we see this whole situation, we always seem to put our voice in God's mouth. But what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at this nativity scene. And my hope is, is that you will see this is not the way God does things. In fact, this scene that we're looking at, this nativity scene, this is not accurate at all. The, when we go through what actually happened, there was no innkeeper, by the way. So when the real movie comes out, Danny DeVito won't be playing the innkeeper because there is no innkeeper. The story of nativity in the Gospels is right on, but our interpretation has gotten tweaked over time. We're not gonna spend too much time on talking about how it tweaks, but we're especially gonna look at the reality of the scripture, and we're gonna make sure to bring in culture and geography, because the stories that have come out of that are from people that don't know the culture and don't know the geography. There was no commercial in. There was no holiday in. But more importantly, Joseph did good. He did enough. And so did the place where they stayed. And so did Bethlehem. So that's what we're going to take a look at. But as we see this, I also want us to be able to step back and to see that God allowed all this to happen. And we can look at this and look at it as like a big chaotic mishap that just somehow worked out. Or maybe this is just how God does things. He takes whatever we have, whatever we can offer up, maybe it is good enough. And maybe we need to stop listening to the lies that we think are out there, but really they're in here. We translate things as us not being good enough, but that's not God speaking. So I'm warning you, during this Christmas season now, when you see these little Christmas montages and pictures and images, you're never going to see them the same again. In fact, when we do the Christmas pageants all the time. I'm like, Ugh, I can't do that because that didn't happen. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. So here's the usual picture you see, right? So let's jump into the scripture because um, what you usually picture is, uh, well, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. This is in Luke chapter two, verses six or seven. So if you, if you, want, I'd love you to have your Bible there, especially at the end. I'm gonna direct you to Matthew chapter one and I want you to have a Bible or your uh, Bible on your phone ready to go. So Luke two, six and seven. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now here's, so there's many ways that this story's been tweaked but one of the primary ways is by um, this anonymous book that was written 200 years ago that most of you have no idea about. And it was written by someone that was most likely nowhere near the culture of the Middle East. And so they put it in their own ideas. And so this book was anonymously written. It's called The Proto-Evangelism of James. Although James didn't write the book. um, But this this author knew the gospel stories, but not the geography, not the culture. So now we're going to look at it in terms of the culture. Okay, so we see here that it says while they were there in Bethlehem. So you have this picture in your mind of them coming across the desert, which, by the way, if you know anything about the culture and the geography, it ain't a desert. It's beautiful. But you picture this, you know, you picture Joseph, oh, i God, got to get there. Come on, we got to get to Bethlehem. And then you picture Mary going, oh, I'm about to give birth right now. Hurry up, right, because that's dramatic. That's what you'd see in a movie. That's what you'd see in a book. And so they get there, but it says while they were there which means they had time. It wasn't like they just swept in that night, but we have that picture in our head, don't we? It's not accurate. So while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth. What does that mean to go up? Well, um, if you're coming from Nazareth and you're going to Bethlehem, it's up. It's like you better be in good shape, especially as you get close to Bethlehem because there's a ridge around it, so it's really high. And um, they went to the town of David, is also known as the city of David, because they knew that heritage from King David was there in Bethlehem. And so because he belonged to the house and the line of David, well, I want to stop there. So you imagine Joseph coming around and trying to strain to find a place to stay. This is Joseph. This is Joseph, who was a royal. He's one of the children of David, he's in that lineage. He could come in there and say, I'm Joseph, son of Heli, son of Methat, son of Levi. And almost all of the homes would go, oh, yeah, you are. Come on in. Because he was royalty in that area. And really all of Israel, but especially there in Bethlehem. And so we have this picture of, get out of here, get out of here. No. So while he was there, he was working it out. He didn't blow it. He came and worked it out. So she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them. And some of your translations will say the inn, right? So uh, some of your translations will say, um, well, we'll get to the inn in a second. Let's focus on the manger here. I'm getting really excited. I don't want to go too fast. So um, this manger, you automatically pick going, you imagine going out to a barn, right? Well, only the very, very rich would have Storehouses, right? You remember that story in Luke chapter 12 about storehouses? But there weren't barns. So only someone very wealthy would have their animals outside of the house. So this is what a typical house would look like, a typical simple house in Bethlehem. Okay? No, I didn't draw it. If I drew it, it'd look fantastic. But I want to make sure it was accurate. So this is a typical Palestinian house, and this can be traced from the time of David to the middle of the 20th century. In fact, there's still houses like this today. And so it'd be down on a slope, and see where that door is? That'd be where you'd enter in. It doesn't always have a little handle, but that's how we picture it, right? So they'd enter in, and there'd be like some steps that would go up, but down below, it's, it's, it's not a garage, but it's where you would keep the animals, because you wouldn't have the animals outside at night for a few reasons. One, they're so valuable to you and your family's survival, you don't want them stolen. Like, everybody calls their uh, their neighbor and says, whoa, whoa, your garage is open. Did you know your garage was open? Why? Because we know if people look in there and go, ooh, that looks good, they're gonna take it. Just part of our nature. And so, they bring the animals in at night, but also they bring the animals in at night, have them down low, down there, because that will keep the house warm at night because you've got these animals in there, but they're down there like in the garage, so to speak. They don't use that term because they don't have cars, but for us, that's what it would look like. Notice how it slopes down. So sometimes they'll build into a cave or on a slope so that you can easily wash things out. I think you know what things are. So if you need to wash things out, you can. So this is a side view of the house, but if the animals are there, then where would the, the feeding troughs be? Where would the mangers be? This is what it looks like. So the stable, or what we've been calling the garage, is down low. The mangers are inside. They'd have a place there, and they'd be multiple use, most likely. But that's where the food would be. So the animals could eat at night or early in the morning, and then you'd let them out. Now, all through Scripture, we see examples of this. I don't want to wear you down with it, so we won't go too deep into it. But there's a few other places where you can see this happen. Um, For example, let me just give you one. This is probably my favorite one. So Jesus, he heals the bent-over woman. This is in Luke chapter 13. And he asked the Pharisees, why couldn't he untie this woman? This woman untied means she was bent over, so she was like bent, she was tied up. Why couldn't he untie this woman like they untie their animals every day? They'd have to untie their animals every day because they were tied in the stable. Because everybody knew you'd do that. And so this is the way it was for the Middle East. The animals weren't out somewhere They were in the house every night. So this is what a typical house would look like. Um, Some would have another room. So there's the family living room, and then you go over. If it's a bigger house, they'd have a guest room. And that's where we're going to get into the inn. So the word that's used here, um, let me see here. So she wrapped them in cloths, laid them in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So... There was no room. Now, when we think of room, you're thinking, oh, like a room for a hotel? That's not what that means. The word room here means space. So, for example, uh, if my wife brought home a big old thing of pickles, I'd say, ooh, there's no room in the fridge for that. There's no topos for that in there. Not, hey, there's no hotel room in the fridge. There's no space. There's no room. So there was no room for them, and in some of your translations, if you have NASB, uh, The Message, or if you have uh, King James or New King James Version, it'll say The Inn. But if you open up NIV or almost any of the other translations, they've begun to fix them. And it'll say there was no room for them in the guest room because in this house, in this house, Imagine another room that's the guest room. And so you have Joseph, and he wants, he's worked it out to stay at this house. I don't know, we don't know who they are. It's not Danny DeVito, it's not Joe Pesci, but it's some family. And most likely the guest room was already filled with an elderly couple, because in that culture, they're the only ones that would keep a pregnant lady out of that room, someone that really needed that because they couldn't function otherwise. And so they gave whatever they had. Let that sink in for a second. This family, they didn't say no. They just said, well, we have this. And so most likely they cleaned all the animals out. They cleaned everything, and they made it available like, hey, we've got room in the garage. And that doesn't sound so weird in this culture because they gave whatever they had, and it was enough. Joseph had time. He could have taken some other offers, but he took this one. So it was enough. And so, when we look at this picture, it just seems so much more beautiful, doesn't it? Of this family, whoever they may be, maybe they have kids, and they said, you know what, come stay with us. We're going to take our most valuable possessions, our animals, and we're going to move them outside at risk of being stolen so that you can have this. And then the time came, and... They gave birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So as we look at this, the question we have to ask is, so what? What does that have to do with us? what does okay that's great now I know that it wasn't in a barn outside it's a good thing because it's too cold out there I know what the desert is like that makes a lot more sense but why does this matter because when we've looked at this story probably you've looked at it the way I have what the heck was the innkeeper thinking how dare you or Joseph way to blow it bro come on like this is your wife this is your child why couldn't you do it right And maybe in the back of your mind, you step back and you're like, really, is God gonna make them all suffer just to prove a point? But it doesn't sound, if you know the culture and know the geography, it doesn't sound like they were suffering. This is a beautiful picture of Bethlehem coming together and saying, we're gonna take care of you. As we're gonna look at next week, the shepherds show up. And we're gonna talk specifically about who the shepherds are. But if the shepherds arrived and they saw that Mary and Joseph weren't being cared for? Because they do come. They would, have, they would have spoken up right away because this is how the Middle East does it. The Middle East does it right. You could show up in the Middle East and go, I don't have a place to stay, and someone's going to say, hey, let me hook you up. That's just how they do. We don't do that here in the United States, do we? Uh, I know, Mom, I know you want to stay with me, but maybe we should get you a hotel. You know what I mean? That doesn't happen in the Middle East. The shepherds would have shown up, And if it was not a healthy situation, this is what they would have done. You know what? Come stay with us. Our wives, they'll get it done. Come on. This is a bad situation. But they didn't. They showed up. They celebrated. And they didn't have to offer because it was good. It was good enough. We see what we want to see. We see what we want to see not only in this nativity story, but we see what we want to see in ourselves and each other. We need to step back and stop being disappointed. Stop being disappointed in others. They're not doing things the way you would do it. I didn't know if I really wanted to share this story, but let me see here. I think it may fit. Hopefully it doesn't distract you too much. But we have this element where everybody else is doing things wrong because they wouldn't do it the way we would, right? Like I remember when I was wrestling with naming our children. I'm like, oh, well, we call them this, we call them that. And it's a great, amazing story for each child. But you just know that people are gonna hassle you, don't you? Whatever name you choose, they're gonna hassle you. Whatever house you choose to go to, whatever city, whatever job, someone's gonna have an opinion about it. So my friends, let me see if they're here, they come to branches fairly often, Because I may bring them up here. No, they're not here, unfortunately. Because they would tell the story and it's better. So this girl is hilarious. So is the husband. They made this decision. They said, we're just going to tell him the name of our boy is this. And then they would blame it on each other saying, oh, it's part of his, it's a family name, his uncle's name this. Or if he was sharing the story, he'd say, oh, it's my wife, it's her uncle's name. So they went around, what's the name of the child going to be? And she would get all, she'd pull out tears His name is going to be Penis. And they'd they'd stop. What? Penis? Yes. We're so excited. And you could see everybody's eyes, and they just kept rolling with it for like nine months and told everybody that because they said, look, they're going to hassle us no matter what we call our son, so we're just going to throw that out there because they knew that was human nature. Now, hopefully I didn't take you too far off, off the track here. But I think that's a great illustration because we all know that's what goes down, doesn't it? We all can look at situations in other people's lives, the choices they make, and go, really? You're an idiot. You should have done it this way. Why didn't you just name him Jim, a nice strong name like Jim? Or how about George? Boogie, really? Is that really your name? (laughs) And it's not just names, it's all kinds of things. Why would you work at that place? Why would you marry that person? Why would you let your kids do this? But here's the thing, it's not just about, when we do that to others, as any therapist will tell you, that's because you're saying that same thing to yourself about everything. And as I was looking at this season and I was wrestling with who Joseph was and looking at this truth and thinking about all the time that I would think of Danny DeVito playing this character of being a bad dude, I realized that's just me always trying to Bring someone else down so that I can bring myself up because I don't feel like I'm enough. Like I'm not doing enough. I don't provide enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And then you can look at this situation and just realize that these people just gave what they had and God turned it into something beautiful because that nativity scene that we saw earlier, it's pretty. It ain't real, but it's pretty. In fact, I'm 99% sure Jesus wasn't glowing. I think he was a baby, <laughs> a human baby, God made into flesh. John 1:14 says that God came and dwelt among us in the flesh, or as the message says, God moved into the neighborhood. And when you think of God moving into the neighborhood, so to speak, isn't it much more beautiful to see all these people rallying around. Hey, you stay with me. Hey, the stable's open. Stay in the stable. We'll clean it out. Joseph wasn't in there either. You know that, right? Like, that doesn't go down. (laughs) The men knew, just get out of the way. And so in that culture, everyone knew Joseph wouldn't be in there. But women in in the community would come and help and clean and all be there to help. How beautiful is that picture? Joseph outside, freaking out, stressed out. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? How's this going to go? And then he's hopeful. And the other men around him with their arms on his shoulder. That's the picture. God takes this mess, and he makes it into something beautiful. Because all we had to do was give what we have, and it's enough. That's how God has always been. And this time of year, when we think of the nativity scene, and we hear the songs, I hope you have a new picture in your head. A new picture in your head of this neighborhood gathering, being hospitable, bringing in people they probably didn't know personally and loving them and caring for them, having no idea what they were being a part of. Being a part of the, bringing in the Messiah, the Son of God, who, been, who is great news to all people. This is what God's always done. And I want to close with this. If we look at the family tree of Jesus, like his heritage or his 23 and me, so to speak. If you were to do that test for Jesus, Matthew writes about it. So if you have your Bible, I want you to see it. Don't worry. I'm not gonna take you verse by verse through the genealogy. It even puts me to sleep reading it. But there's such depth in there. So Matthew chapter one, open it up. And in that chapter, it'll give you the whole family tree of Jesus. Well, not the whole, that's a that's a discussion for later. In fact, we've done that before. But the highlights. And so Matthew the, Matthew and Luke, as we talked about, are the two places where the birth stories are. And Matthew is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish culture. And so there's a few rules about Jewish genealogies. You put your best foot forward. You put all the big names. Ooh, you're related to George Washington. Ooh, you're related to something Mason. You, oh, you, whoa, whoa, look at your history. It goes all the way back to Martin Luther King. Everybody loves to have this great heritage. Well, in Jewish culture, it's, that's what it's all about. But Matthew knows this, and yet he chooses to put certain people in there that when you hear their name, you're like, ooh, Abraham. I know Abraham, Father Abraham, is a big part of the Israeli culture, but everybody also knows. Isn't that the guy that when he went into Egypt and a few other places with his wife, she was so beautiful that he knew they would kill him to get to her, so he just said, this is my sister. And then the people in charge were, well, then she's going to be one of my wives. And Abraham would say, sounds good. What a loser, right? Is that the guy that's in the family tree of Jesus? And then what about David? David. David, of course, he's a big name, he's a big hitter. If you knew you were related to King David, sounds pretty cool, but he's also the guy that was an adulterer and a murderer. And then this is something you never do in a family tree. There's four women in there. A Jewish man would never put women in a genealogy because you just don't do it, but he does. And the women he chooses, he chooses Rahab, prostitute he chooses Bathsheba who had the affair with David he chooses Ruth who's a foreigner you just don't do that you don't it was like one of the primary guidelines for the Jewish people do not marry foreigners but Ruth's in there so you've got these people what is the message that Matthew's trying to get across Because here's this family tree with all these knots and these cracks and these twisted branches. God takes whatever we have. Because David was a good man, but he did some dumb things. Abraham was a good man, but he made some dumb decisions. Rahab was a good woman that made some poor decisions. Bathsheba, she's a human, she's a woman but she made some bad decisions, too. You look at this whole situation, and yet God, this is the family tree that he chose. God chose this. Because God takes whatever we have, and when you offer it up to him, he makes something beautiful out of it. However weak and wayward we may be individually or as humans, God's will will be done. He works in us and through us despite all of these knots and the splits in the tree. It's a testament to who he is. We don't have to be afraid of not being enough because he is. That's our hope. He is the light of the world. And yet he tells us you are the light of the world. No, 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 you don't understand. You see how messed up I, you know the things I've done. You know what I struggle with. Do you think God's like, oh, whoa, I didn't know about that. Tell me more. He knows who we are, but he will make something beautiful from us. You look at this whole nativity scene, you look at all of this, and when you know the culture and you know the geography and you know the gospel, you're like, wow, that's not how I would have planned it. I would have planned it fully, fully. Lion King style, my child would have been born and everyone would show up and they'd bow. But it's not like that. But God, he does things that are real. Not legend, not fantastical. But he still creates beauty out of it. We are enough. Just take what you have, like the loaves and the fishes, and just hand it to him and watch what he does. Father God, I ask that you would teach us, Lord. Teach us who you are. We're so focused on ourselves and how we fall short, Lord, that we miss the bigger picture. This season, Lord, may we step back and may we see you. May we see you and your beauty. May we see that you make all things beautiful, that all good things come from you. And that you work with all kinds of material. For those that are here this morning that are tired, that are physically broken, that are financially broken, that may even feel desperate. Or let them know that you make all things beautiful. Give them the strength and the courage to hand it over to you. For those this season that feel like, wow, I've got a lot, give them eyes to see how to share that. And Lord, give us words and actions to build life into each other so that we can speak to each other the way that you would speak. You do good. You've done good, Lord. Give us those words. Give us that courage to speak that to each other. We ask this in the name of Jesus.
1: Amen. Okay. That song. uh... It's pretty awesome. Um, it's great to be reassured of a the good father we have. Um, closing the message is one of those brain-wracking things for me. Um, Boog never seems to take the same direction I would. That's why he's in charge, and I'm not. So you're... You should be thankful for that and more evidence of what a good father you have. Um, he's right. He can get up here and share about how, like, oh, I struggled here. I, I, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel like I'm providing enough, or, or working hard enough. And that we do see eye to eye on. I, I struggle with that. I, I see shortcomings. Every day, and uh, and a lot of things that I do. So it's good to hear that those bases are covered. Um, that things aren't always what we see. You know, there's someone bigger, better, and thankfully in control that uh, looks past those things and desires the best for us. Um, I was looking at the genealogy, and I was like, yeah, you're, like, there's all these messed up people in it. And, then, like, that's just a small chunk of a larger book of heroes that are consistently flawed. They're a wreck. The things, the way they try to pull off the right thing, like, While their intentions are good, they screw it up, and then God fixes it. Here's something really countercultural to a Middle Eastern or Western culture. There are two guys in the Bible that, other than Jesus, nothing wrong is said about them. Joseph and Daniel. Joseph is like a picture of Jesus, and Daniel's just an all-around good guy. But the countercultural thing is there's a few women in the Bible that nothing is said like of their shortcomings. There's a woman who takes charge during a battle because a guy won't step up and do his job. Nothing is said about her other than she did the right thing. Ruth did the right thing. Esther did the right thing and that's pretty awesome in a Middle Eastern book to highlight female heroes so congratulations ladies you got it better than we do Um, so to wrap this up try to see more of Jesus and less of you um, I'm trying to work on that, especially during Christmas. It, uh, I allow things to get cluttered and allow things like busyness to, and, and things that I don't like that try to interject themselves into Christmas. There's a lot of things that try to put themselves into Christmas that don't belong there. Um, so focus on Jesus. Focus on him coming to rescue us from all our bad choices and all our mistakes. Um, I'm going to pray us out, and then uh, you're going to go get your kids. Father, thank you for the space and uh, the time that we have to learn about you and to reflect on how our lives are going and where you want us to get to ask you to bless these people, keep them healthy and safe through this season, and uh, keep us focused on Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.